You're listening to the Freedom House Podcast. We're a house that will empower you in your walk with Christ to get free, live free, and set others free. This is our Sunday service series. For more information, go to FHUS.org. Enjoy. All right, this is Prophetic Prayer, Elijah's Provision, Part 1. We went from priestly prayers, and of course, uh, we hope and we pray that it was something that was encouraging to you, that we are, how many know in the New Testament, we're priests. Uh, priests aren't just, you know, especially for those who have a Catholic background, you think of a priest as someone who wears a funky looking suit with a, you know, a white collar around there and, you know, have funny names and titles and what have you. But how many know that in the New Testament, we're all priests unto God? So it's not somebody that stands behind the pulpit and call themselves clergy. You're clergy. Uh, in fact, in, in our internship, we're going through church government. We know that there's apostles, prophets, uh, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. They equip the saints, which is you, to do the work of the ministry. Why? Because God needs you. Did you know that? God actually needs you. He has need of you to be a witness and to be a strength to wherever God has planted you, whether it be in school or whether it's in a career path that you have or you have your own business. He wants you to be a witness there in that place, and that indeed you are a priest. So that means God can use you where you're at. And so it's not just those who stand behind the pulpit who minister the word. You are to be a minister in the place where God has planted you. Why is that? Because people hear my title, pastor, and they run from me, but they won't run from you. Some of you get that by next week. You know what I'm talking about. Oh, pastor. Oh, okay. God bless you. Okay. Okay. Bye, pastor. Right? But you have influence in their life. You're, you, you do nine to five with them. You know, you, you go through struggles. You share each other. You sit over meals in the lunchroom and you share with each other. And you have the ability to minister and have influence in people's lives that me, they wouldn't because they're like, I'm not sure about that guy. I'm suspicious of all pastors. But you have influence in their life. And so God wants to meet the needs of the world through you, uh, through the church of the living God. And everyone says... So you are a priest, of course, and as we've been talking about the priest, we've been also talking about intercession and the power of intercession. And I am fully convinced that many Christians don't know the power of intercession, of moving in the realm of the supernatural. How many know the early church was a supernatural church? How many know that the believers walked in the supernatural? And we see in our culture and our society that churches that are more like clubs rather than houses of the supernatural. And so the supernatural is something that's real. It's not something that you have to go to Africa to find or to Asia or some uh, other countries. But God is no respecter of person, no matter whether you're in the first world, second world, or third world uh, culture or nation. God's kingdom principles and his power is available to them who believe. So we are called believers and we're not called unbelievers. And so uh, part of the priesthood is being able to pray in that world. And I hope that I've incentivized you coming into that place of intercession, of knowing that it is a reality. And, you know, sometimes in the church, it's only been a few older people that are known as prayer warriors. But how many know prayer warrior isn't in the Bible? It doesn't say apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, and prayer warriors. No, prayer warriors are really, you'll find people who are what I call juiced up to God. Can I use that terminology for our young people? They're juiced up. Uh, I remember when I was going to the assemblies of God and it was all these little old Pentecostal ladies. Oh God! And they'd raise their voice and all of a sudden your hair would stand up. Not in a bad way, in a good way. 
it was like they were juiced up. They knew God. You could sense God come in when they started to cry out to God. And it was like, I just felt something enter into the room. What is this? I would feel God. And these are people that would pray sometimes because they had the ability to give themselves over, uh, which we're not saying that all of you should quit your job and do that. We want you to be earthly good. Come on, are you here? But there is a place in God to where you lose and you come up into that world and he becomes more real even that, than even you become real. And it's the life of prayer. And some of your old timers, I, res- I say that respectfully, some of your old timers, because of their place, they're retired, etc., and they're in the house of God. And that's all they do is they spend time in prayer. So they lose themselves over into that other world. They become disconnected in many respects from this. And that world becomes more real than this world. And then also because of their prophetic, they know things. I can remember uh, these old timers, hey, how are you doing? And they'll sit there and they'll read your mail. You know what reading your mail is? Some of you are like, what's read your mail? It means like, uh, you know how when you're in the mail, someone opens it up and they, they know all about you? Some of these old timers, they'd read, how are you doing? I've been praying for you. Is everything okay? And you knew you were doing something wrong on Friday night. Come on, are you here? And it's like they already knew these things and you didn't even have to say anything because they were juiced up. They heard from God. And God was giving them insight into that world. And so all that to say that, but you don't have to be, you, you, can, you can develop your spiritual life, but you have to really be somebody who's hungry for it and knows that it exists and know that it's available and that God wants to juice you up. Yes. Mm? Amen. There's only one good juice up. You don't want to get juiced up with meth and you don't want to get juiced up with drugs and you don't want to get juiced up with other things, but the only good legitimate and you can't OD is get juiced up with God. Amen. There's only, as I say, there's only, there's no high like the most high. (laughs) All right. Well, let's get on. That's enough of my introduction. I got to get off slide one, you know, so. All right. In the book of Matthew, of course, Jesus, it says, give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven are debtors. There's a literal translation as well as kind of a non-literal. The first point that I want to draw to your attention, notice it says, give us, not me. Mm -hmm. Some of you get that by next week. You know, sometimes within the church, we're so preoccupied with our needs because it's usually the unholy trinity that's on the throne of our heart, which is, you say, pastor, what, what, what trinity is that? Me, myself, and I. That's usually the, we're always so self-consumed with our American dreams, our ways, our wants. And we're really going to find out at the end of this age that when God created mankind in his image, we're not animals. We may act like animals, but we're not animals. We were created in his image. There was no other creation in heaven or on earth that was created like him. And when he created us in his image, he had a great love for you as well as the neighbors you don't like. Come on, are you here? Uh, So he loves them too because he created them in an image and he wants us to be concerned for people. So notice it says, give us, not give me. Now with me saying that, let me qualify that. He absolutely is concerned with the things that you're going through. Amen. This is why the scripture says that he even knows the number of hairs on your head or lack therein, I'll add. (laughs) Some of us are kind of receding in different places and we're praying, Lord, give us more hairs. Uh, But nonetheless, my point of this is, is that he is concerned about you. And so it's not to negate from the the fact that God loves you and he's concerned about you. And listen, he's not just concerned about you getting to heaven spiritually. He's concerned with you in your soul. 
your soul life. He's also concerned about your physical life. Amen. This is the reason why Jesus came to the earth. And what did he do? He was healing people who were under the power of the enemy, who are under the chains of enslavement. And we need the power of God like never before in the church. How many know this generation that is upon us, especially this younger one? I find myself just crying for this generation because they are dealing with things that I have no earthly idea how to grapple with these things, but God has the answer for them. You know, the level of confusion everywhere from gender to all these things, this confusion is totally demonic. But how many know that through the power of Jesus, God wants to set people free from the chains of this type of enslavement that's bringing all kinds of suicide, all kinds of depression, all kinds of anxieties. This has been architected by politicians, but how many know we need the great architect of the kingdom of God to have his way? And here's the beautiful thing. When sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. That means in this time when it looks bleak, when it looks dark, when your children are going crazy and you don't know what to do, how many know that this is a time in which we can place our hope and our faith and trust in God to give us wisdom in this day? How many know yesterday's wisdom, my forefather's wisdom? It's great we aggregate all that wisdom, but their wisdom was used for their time. We need a fresh wisdom that comes from heaven to deal with the issues of life in our generation. And this is part of living by faith, that we can have security with Christ as this walk of faith, that we can understand that he will meet the needs of us as well as those in our generation. So the first point, give us this day. You have to understand uh, that they lived in an agrarian culture. Say agrarian. You know, when, if you are, uh, for those especially in the stock market and different things, how many know you got various sectors? You got various uh, industries that there are. Even within petroleum, you got all kinds, literally hundreds of subsections of different uh, industries. Well, you have to understand amongst the ancients, there was only a few sectors, if you will. There was shipping, there was merchant, there was trading, and then the 85 to 90% of all the, the people were uh, farmers. So it was an agrarian culture. So you only had a few sectors. So what that means is when you were hit with a famine, it hit everybody. You know, in today's culture, because of global societies and economies, you can be hit in one particular sector, but how many know another sector can be completely flourishing? You can make an investment in one that goes south and you go in another sector and it's completely going north, so to speak. So we don't really understand the nature of a famine that can actually have a devastating effect here in America. We're kind of moving towards that to where we see global recession and things like that. But imagine amongst the ancients that if you're a farmer and you're believing with your community and all of a sudden there was no rain there was no food that came forth and therefore there was nothing to be bring to the trade to the marketplace in order to trade and things like that listen it wasn't just you and your family that suffered it was your neighbors that suffered it was your whole community that suffered with you so it was much more interdependent than it is today this is why even here in the church, you got some that are flourishing, some that are having great difficulties trying to find jobs, different things like that. And so it wasn't so amongst them. So when Jesus sits there and says, give us, he wanted to be mindful, not just of your needs, but the needs of the community that you are uh, in relationship with. And so we are to be mindful. So Jesus says, give us today our daily bread. Notice it's not weekly bread or monthly bread. That is to say, he wants us to learn to walk by faith. This is one of the principal things that he, he teaches his people from coming out of Egypt into the wilderness. What was it? Every single morning you were to go out and collect the manna. Collect enough was his instructions just for the day. 
And of course, you had those that gathered more. They had a hoarding spirit. And of course, we know from the scriptures that that turned to maggots. So what is God trying to teach us? That you can actually trust me, I'm a good God. That I am your good father. Maybe for some of you, you didn't have good fathers. Maybe you had abusive fathers, and this could be really a challenge to your mindset. But let me assure you that our good God is not like your mean-spirited dad, okay? That he is indeed good, and you can trust him in this area. Because sometimes our picture of our father is the picture of natural fathers here on earth who may have did us wrong. And let me just speak this word of encouragement. Just because there was dysfunction within your family culture does not mean that that's reflective of what God is. In fact, God wants to come and he wants to heal you of that. And he wants to be in that position of being your father. Take consideration Jesus himself. Actually, his natural father may have disappeared early on in life. There's really no later records of his involvement. And so him... He would have known what it is to turn to the Father and truly have Father God as his Father. And so it goes beyond just him being your God. This is why I ask you this question. Do you know him as God somewhere up in heaven, somewhere away from you, not involved in your affairs, something just uh, 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 theological or philosophical? That's not how God wants to know you. He wants to know you in your heart by which you have relationship and go beyond God to actually be in your daddy, be in your father, being intimately involved. Give us today our daily bread. Now, if he says, pray, give us this day, that means you are to be in communion every single day. And as I stated, I forgot to finish my thought there. It turned to maggots. But what was he trying to teach them and train them to do? He was trying to teach them and train them that you don't have to hoard up for the unseen. Because I am unseen, I will provide for you every single step of the way. And of course, there was those that, like I said, they collected more than it was enough. It turned into maggots. And what was, what was God trying to show them? That you can trust me in these things every single day. Because when you come to the place to where you know God actually hears your prayers and he answers them, because if he hears, he will answer, you can place your trust in other areas of your life. It's once he gets a foot in there and he shows how good it is, you can't help but every, uh, open up every other door of your house every other door of the rooms that are there because his faithfulness in one place, he wants to show and he wants to be faithful on your behalf and everyone says. And all that because he wants to get you into your promised land. Amen? All right. So in Acts chapter 11, verse 27 to 28, and this is speaking with regards to natural bread. He's concerned about it. And again, let me state this again. None of us really here are concerned about natural bread. And this is why I'm trying to take you as a congregation and put you back 2,000 years amongst the ancients and the aggregarian. Because like I joked with the first service, I don't know about you, but it's after 12 right now. I'm getting a little bit hungry. I don't eat breakfast. Come on. I don't know about you. I don't know if you ate a breakfast or not. But I know in my house, there's five of us that are very opinionated with what they get for lunch. Come on, are you here? How about pizza my heart? We ain't had pizza the other day. Well, how about Betty Burger? Oh, I don't like Betty Burger. I'm tired of Betty Burger. How about Mexican food? I don't we eat Mexican food all the time. We live in Watsonville. How about Zamim's? Mediterranean? I don't know if I want Mediterranean. It'll be all kinds of... <laughs> we'll have all kinds of debate, and no one is going to yield. 
And this is why I jokingly say, just when you guys all decide, just come and notify me. And in unison, which is a miracle if it happens, in unison, you tell me what you want and we'll just go there. But don't involve me. I recuse myself from having an opinion in this world. No, no, okay, just, just settle it. Am I the only one or are you kind of, right? We don't only, we don't, we can't sympathize with them because we have food and we have choices. Come on, hello. We have choices. And so we really don't know what it is to, with the basic needs of life, to be able to grapple with even our very uh, uh, living conditions. This is why it's important. This is why one of the things that I've always said is, listen, go to a third world and fourth, uh, fourth world nation. Okay, go outside into those places to where actually you have to depend upon God and actually pray prayers before you actually eat. You know, sometimes we do it religiously. Oh, Lord, you know, we pray, you know, your blessing on the food, but you don't need to because you already know it's good food and sanitized and, you know, but you go in some of these nations, you're like, oh, Lord. Like the first time I had anaconda in East Malaysia. Oh, yeah. We were, we were on, oh, here we go. We're on a tri- We're on a bunny trail already. We were at a school, and it was plantation. Uh, and in these palm oil plantations, I've had a python, okay? And I remember the first time I had python soup. And I'm eating, and all of a sudden, I'm getting all these little tiny bones. And I'm like, what is this? And they're like, Chicken. I'm like, don't lie to me. Thou shall not lie. This is not chicken bones unless the chickens are really small here in Asia. What is it? It's python. (laughs) So on the palm oil plantation, the Christians that were there working the field, they would kill pythons and they would bring it to the students. And so I ate what the students ate. I ate python. I can remember, uh, is it a gila monster or what what was... uh, uh, a monitor lizard, that's what it was. I actually helped kill a monitor lizard. The, you know, the dragons that you see in, you know, National Geographic. In, uh, in, yeah, it, it started chasing our dogs, which were hounds, like this. And they wanted me to help them. And so I, I, I should say I killed it, I helped assist, which means I was giving them encouragement. Yes, you can do it, you can do it. I was probably within three feet, you know, I, like that. And I was like, ooh, yeah. And so after they killed it, you know, they gave me the honors of doing some other things, which I won't state. Um, and so, yeah, I had that too. And I said, is this good to eat? They're like, yes. Oh, it's good to eat. They eat vegetables and things like that. Uh, it's like I found out later. They eat dead things by the road. Yes. Roadkill and things like that. I remember seeing that because I was going down the road to another meeting down a dirt road and there you had three monitor lizards eating at things dead. I'm like, I thought those things were vegetarians. (laughs) They're not vegetarians. They eat roadkill, meat. I was like, that's what I ate too. Hallelujah. So, hallelujah. All that. How did I get off from that? Okay. Give us today our daily bread or monitor lizard. (laughs) so all that to say this was my point when i said prayers before my food i really had a lot of faith in it oh lord i pray this bless my body in jesus name (laughs) because you never know what you're going to eat 
I can remember being up in Nepal and eating rice and almost losing chipping because of stones and different things like that. Uh, so when you're in some of these nations, and listen, and God sustained me while I was over there. Uh, I can honestly say that when I was over there, I never got seriously sick or anything like that. And uh, in these places, you know, us as Americans, because everything's so sanitized and things like that, you know, our uh, kind of our immunity, I wouldn't say is developed as in some of these places, but I can honestly say that wherever I went, whatever was put, you know, because that's what the scripture says, you eat what's put before you. I was like, there's nothing that's going to harm me. And I lived healthy and strong all during my 20s and my 30s. And even now when I'm over there, I could even have a tea that was over there and half the team gets sick and I was always strong and I believe it was the blessing of the Lord because I believed him at the scriptures that you can drink any poison not that I was drinking poison come on are you here but whatever it is whatever I eat God is the one who is my doctor he is my surgeon he is my hospital the kingdom of God I have healing in those things and everyone says So here in Acts chapter 11, verse 27 to 28, this is to give you an insight that God is concerned about you in all areas of life. And this might be a good thing, especially as we're going into recession and things like that. I'm not trying to say that's what's going to happen or anything like that. But you need to know if you're going through difficult times within our culture and within our society at this particular time, it's a time for us to stretch our faith because God's blessing upon this land we can take for granted. You know, the things that we're living in today is because of how it was architected by our forefathers who built this nation. And we have so many uh, 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 social nets that are in place that are part of the blessing of God. And we have so many social nets in place that we don't even need God in our equation. And so this is why we need to be brought back to God and understand that how this nation, with all of its you know, scars and with all of its pimples and with all of its problems, that God's blessing in his hand has been a, upon us. And it's a lot of the labor because of the forefathers of this nation, and everyone says. So in Acts chapter 11, verse 27 to 28, it says, During this time, some prophets, say prophets. prophets. It says, They came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, verse 28. One of them named Agabus stood up and through the spirit, say through the spirit. That means the Holy Spirit revealed the future. Why would the Holy Spirit reveal the future? Because he's concerned about you. That's why. It says that through the spirit, uh, excuse me, uh, Jerusalem, one of them named Agabus uh, uh, stood up and through the spirit predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire, say entire, the entire Roman world, and in fact, it says this happened during the reign of Claudius, and even secular historians will tell you that there was a point in which this particular incident confirms the biblical narrative that there was a famine that hit the land. Now, why was it that God gave a prophet this word to the church so that this intel, so that they could uh, 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 prepare themselves with this knowledge in order to bring a salvation to the people of God. How many have ever read Joseph in the Old Testament? I love Joseph. Joseph, he was a guy who lived straight. I mean, even when uh, he could have sinned, he didn't sin. He ran away. He was a man of holiness. He was a man deep in the spirit. And yet he was also an administrator. He had difficult times. He never had a victim's mindset, like, how dare all these things happen to me? He labored in the place of his dungeon. And he was an asset, and he was a blessing to the people that were around him, no matter where he is at, whether he, hit, whether he was on a throne or whether he was in a dungeon, he served. And that should be an encouragement to all of us. Okay? 
the biblical narrative right here. None of us have been stoned. None of us have been beaten. None of us have been uh, through all the things that the early church did. And they didn't have a victim's mindset, nor should we today, especially with all the blessings that we have in this nation, and everyone says. As the Bible says, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. We should always be a people who are rejoicing. We certainly never even come remotely close to the things that they've encountered. And so this should give us strength that in our culture, in our day, in our age, when we want to have a pity party, come on, how many know when you have a pity party, you can have three other, usually family members that will have a pity party with you. Amen. But we want to be an asset and a blessing. The only way you can be an asset and a blessing is to shirk off and to throw off the victim's mindset, strengthen ourselves with the power of God to be an asset in the culture in which we're living today. And everyone says. So notice this. And it spread all over. Now, the reason why, and notice that Agabus didn't just bring people up and just read their mail, as we say. Anybody know what read the mail is? It means get prophetic insight to you. And I love those meetings. We've had times like that in which we've prayed for people and prophetically God has opened up and we've seen and we've seen maybe hurts that they needed to be healed from it or we've seen what God wants to do in their life and we've had weepings and travailings in which God brought healing to people because by the Spirit of God, their mail was read. But I want you to notice this wasn't that kind of a meeting. God wanted to speak to the whole church, not just an individual. For what purpose? To bring in a help to the church because Jesus, is concerned about his body. He's concerned about the church. And so uh, what ends up happening from this point is obviously they began to raise up monies in order to do what? To bring and alleviating to this that was going to happen. And again, Joseph is a great example. There was seven years of, of, of increase and there was seven years of famine. And of course, uh, when uh, Joseph interpreted uh, the dream of Pharaoh, there was going to be so much famine that it would eat up all the produce of the fruit of the first seven years. And the reason why God showed 14 years of the commodities market is for the purpose of bringing a great salvation. And indeed, again, because God is indeed good. And listen, I believe that God does that even today. I have testimonies of myself as well as in this house that do you know God knows which way the city's going to build? He can give you insight into it to buy land at a certain price. He can tell you which way the stock market's going to go. He can give you that intel. He can tell you what uh, the commodities market, which way it's going to go and to make investment for his kingdom. But we have to be a people that are willing that when he gives that intel, okay, God, now that you gave it to me, what do you want me to do with it? Some of us want it to spend it rather than get it in order to use uh, uh, to serve him with it. Come on, are you here? That's why you have to have a servant's heart. And not uh, always remember this. We are never owners in this life. We are only stewards in this life. Even down to the children that we have. We don't own them. We're not dictators of them. We steward them. We don't control them. Uh, You know, we put them on a tight leash sometimes, of course. (laughs) But nonetheless, we do what? We steward that which God has given us. And everyone says... So in the given us this day, our daily bread, here's the non-literal. So we're dealt with the literal as well as the non-literal. We see man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And let me put this forth for you. If we eat bread every single day, at least one meal, how much more of the more important bread should we be consuming? So what is your diet of bread, of spiritual bread? What is your caloric intake of that? 
we may know what your caloric intake of a natural bread is, but what is your caloric intake of spiritual bread by which you're in his word, by which you're meditating upon his word, by which you're feasting upon his word? Is it monthly? Maybe you have a peewee hermit spirit inside of you in which it's anemic and you're not getting enough calories from the bread because you're not consuming enough. How can a young man keep his way pure? By meditating upon your word day and night. I have hid your word in my heart that I may not sin against you. But if you come to the place to where you actually get into his word because you are hungering after his word, you're thirsting after his word by which it's inside of you. For some of you that are having continual issues, I always challenge you on this. But are you seeking the Lord in these particular areas? Are you hiding his word inside of you? Some of you have tried to learn how to just man up, so to speak, or strengthen yourself in order to try and get victories over certain things. But listen, what's inside of you will eventually come out. And the question is, is if you hid your, his word in your heart by which that gives you the victory rather than you trying to secure your own victory. Are you just getting more religious and less spiritual? Mm, that will preach right there. I felt the anointing on that one. Some of us are trying to get more religious and you're getting less spiritual, less in communion with the presence of God. Because when you're in his word and you're in his spirit and you have those things, it brings security and strength to be able to fight those fights in order to get uh, through those things that may be assaulting you, by which even the enemy is trying to weaken you in these areas. And everyone says... Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. I want to give you the context in the Old Testament by which Jesus made this statement. He made this statement. It's from the Old Testament. It's a quote. And so I want us to turn there. Excuse me. Let's go to the next one. There we go. We're jumping ahead for the sake of time. It says this in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 1 through 5. Be careful. Say, be careful. Now, when the scripture says that, maybe we better be mindful of what's about to be said. Be careful to follow every command I am giving you today so that you may live and increase. Why? So that you may live and increase. He doesn't just say, I want you to obey every command because I'm a control freak. The reason why he wants to train you to obey him is because he wants to get you into your promised land. He wants to get increase. He wants you to be fruitful. It's not because God's a meanie bobini. It's because he's trying to get something to you. You look at it, he's trying to take something from you, but he actually knows what's best for you. So this is why we have to learn to surrender. It's a term that's unpopular in the church today, surrender. Or giving our life over is an issue of surrender. Be careful to follow every command I am giving you today so that you may live and increase and enter and possess the land the Lord promised you on an oath to your ancestor. Verse 2, remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness, watch this, for 40 years. Okay, now remember, that was not where their habitation was to be. It was actually to be temporary. The habitation was to be in the promised land. And it was because of wrong decisions that they meant, it stalled them out into the wilderness, which was not God's high call for their life. 
This is why even in the New Testament, there's the, we are to pursue the high call in Christ Jesus. It's very simple. It doesn't take a rocket scientist or you know, a, a, a math magician to figure out if there's a high call, there's a low call and a medium call. Okay? The high call for them was to go into the promised land. Thank God they didn't live in the low call, which is going back to Egypt. How many know they wanted to go back to Egypt one time? Hey, let's, we don't know where this Moses is at. Hey, let's elect a leader. They were Democrats. Not, I take that back. Not Democrats, a democratic society. Okay? I didn't mean Democrats, political party. <laughs> don't get mad at me. That was an honest mistake. I felt, eh. They wanted to be democratic. Excuse me. Demo- did I, say, I still said it wrong, didn't I? Democracy. Democracy. Excuse me. It begins with a D. Okay. They wanted to be a democracy by which they elected somebody of their choosing rather than the Lord's choosing to take them back into Egypt. Mm-hmm. Instead of obeying the Lord and getting the better life in the promised land. So now watch this. This is beautiful. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the ways in the wilderness these 40 years to do what? To humble you. Watch this. And to test you in order to know what was in your heart. Do you know you don't even know what's in your heart? Scripture says that, you know, with the iniquity and with the sin of the heart, how deep is that depravity? What man can know it? This is why the Holy Spirit puts a spotlight because it's in darkness and we love darkness. And so the Holy Spirit comes with a spotlight and we go, oh, I didn't know that was there. He exposes it. The Old Testament speaks about uh, gold that's refined by the fire. And what happens is it refines it and all the dross and all the impurities come to the top. And what happens is you take it off, right? And then after it begins to cool, you got purified gold. But how many know that didn't end it? There would be back in the fire again. And there was up to seven times through a, 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 a refiner's fire, the dross would come. And the more that it went through it, the more pure the gold would become. If I can liken this, this is how God deals with your heart. He brings you through times that may be difficult to find out what's in your heart, not so that he knows, but so that you come to know. He already knows. He already knows the impurities. We're the ones who are self-righteous. We're the ones who think we're all that. We're the cat's meow. We're the ones who think we're better than everybody else with our arrogance and our pride. And he's the one who says, okay, I'm going to take you through a difficult time. Oh, look at that. Look what just, look what came to the top. Look at all these impurities. When I brought you through a fire, all of a sudden there's all this corruption that comes out. But we sit there and we walk, we walk around masquerading ourselves, pretending everything's okay until we hit hard times. The real you is, is, is the real you comes about when you go through difficult times, not when you're going through great times. All of us can sit there and put it like a Facebook image of ourselves, or an Instagram image or a TikTok image of what we want people to see. But the real you comes out when you hit hard times. And usually that's not what you're going to post when you're going through the difficult times. Come on, are you here? And so God deals with the real you. Say the real me. Turn to your neighbor. He's looking at the real you. Amen. And so notice that God is a God of the process. This isn't something that I made up. And this isn't something by which, you know, within this church, you know, and getting set free and, and being free and setting others free. This isn't just something that we made up. It's found in the Old Testament. We see here. In verse 3, he humbled you, causing you to hunger, and then feeding you with manna, 
which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of our Lord. And here's the beautiful thing. It continues on in verse 4. Your clothes did not wear out and your feet did not swell during those 40 years. So what was he doing? Teaching them. He was teaching them that you can trust. Because usually we already know there's a shelf life to our shoes. Come on, are you here? For some of you ladies, it's usually about two weeks. I still got some shoes that are probably from a decade ago. (laughs) You want to get rid of these? No, I like those. Well, they were cool back in the 80s, not now. (laughs) But what was it? Yeah, now they're cool. It's what do you call They're vintage now. Yeah, they're vintage. I'm waiting for Nico to grow up. He'll want to wear them, I guess. <laughs> but the point is, is what is he doing? You can trust me. Okay. Now, why does he do that? Because when you get into the promised land, he wants to give you new shoes, not the old shoes. And you can, you can build and you can create and you can build assets and you won't sit there with your hoarding mindset that came from your bondage when you were in Egypt, but you've gone through that, and he's brought you through the process of not just getting you out of Egypt, but getting Egypt thinking out of you. Why? Because when he brings you into the promised land, if you don't get free, you'll turn your promised land into the ghettos, the ghettos of Egypt. And he doesn't want you living that way. He doesn't want you to live under hoarding. He wants you to trust him that, hey, I'm leading you. You can build businesses. You can build houses. You can be entrepreneurial. And you won't revert to Egyptian thinking in order to try and get your own. And turn the place that you're at into a ghetto. But that you've learned to trust because you've gone through some things. You've gone through some turmoils. You've gone through some difficulties. And yet the whole time you've been crying out to God. And he's been your sustainer. And he's been giving you strength. And he's built you up. And he's added to you. That's why it was such a beautiful what Bucci, Emily, uh, stated about needing $300. May not be a lot of money. Wasn't believing for a house or something like that. But something as measly as $300. And she gets a text right outside the door. Hey, I need a babysitter for two days. It pays $300. It was an answer to prayer. That becomes a life-defining moment for every opportunity from that point on. It will become, now when she's asked to step out in faith to do something greater, she'll remember, this is what God did in my life. Look what he did. If he was faithful in a little, I can trust him when he gives me more that I won't sit there and hoard it and say, oh, no, 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 no. It becomes an evidence in the little. He who is faithful, the Bible says, in the little will be faithful in much. Usually we just want to go to the much without being trustworthy with the little. Give me more. Give me more. I used in the first service the analogy. We're wrapping it up. It's my second landing. I use, you know, people that receive a call. Oh, you're called to the nation. You'll preach before thousands and thousands and thousands. Yet they won't even walk across the street to meet their neighbor, watering their lung, and just share Christ under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. You won't be faithful in the little, but you just see yourself being glorified in the masses, but you're not willing to be faithful in the little. So God tests us in the little. He tests us in these things because he's got a promised land for every single one. Every single one of you have a promised land. God has for you. He's a good God, and he loves us. And everyone says... You've been listening to the Freedom House Podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. If you would like more information about our house, please visit our website, fhus.org. 
Thanks again for tuning in, and please consider sharing this podcast with your friends and family. See you next time. Mm-hmm.